Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast that allows you to travel to Scotland through stories. My name is Cathy Kamleitner. I'm a writer and storyteller and run the Scotland travel blog Watch Me See. After years of helping people from around the world plan their trips, this podcast is my way to help you connect with Scotland, regardless of your travel plans. Each episode starts with a travel story about a location or an experience from my travels. Then, I'll tell you some of my top tips for visiting to inspire a future trip. Are you ready? Great! Let's travel to Scotland. The first season of Wild for Scotland is all about the Scottish Isles. Each week, we travel to a different island and spend some time exploring their nooks and crannies, history and landscapes. Let's start by setting sail for the Isles of Iona, Staffa and the Treshnish Isles. I'm taking you on an island-hopping adventure on the Scottish west coast to see medieval ruins, ominous sea caves and a certain bird that visits Scotland each summer and makes a great show about it. Can you guess who I mean? But before we dive in, seeing that this is the first episode of this podcast, I thought I could tell you a little bit more about me. In 2013, I followed an inexplicable calling and moved to Scotland. I had never even visited before moving all the way from Berlin to Glasgow. What was supposed to be a year at uni turned into seven, and I'm not planning to leave any time soon. Soon after making a home in Scotland, I started travelling and recording my adventures on my blog, Watch Me See. When the time came to decide what I wanted to do with my life, I was fortunate enough to turn my baby blog into a business and love Scotland for a living. As you can imagine, 2020 has brought a lot of change. Travel restrictions are by no means the worst of the pandemic, but travel brings so much joy it is still frustrating when you have to cancel or postpone your travel plans. And most of my readers and clients had to. There was no one left I could plan trips for. And even for me in the city, the highlands and islands of Scotland 
felt out of reach for most of the year. I received many messages in my inbox telling me of a deep desire to visit Scotland, but no way of doing so. And so I started working on a solution to make it easier for my fellow Scotland lovers to connect with the country despite the travel restrictions. The result is what you're listening to right now, a podcast that consists of immersive travel stories to dream of Scotland and a few practical tips to inspire the future. Now, it's time to travel together to Iona, Staffa and the Treshnish Isles. This is Island Hopping. The story begins, as is often the case with Scottish Isles, on a boat, the small passenger ferry from the Isle of Mull to the Isle of Iona. We arrived on Mull the evening before. We, that is, my brother and his wife, me and my partner. We treated ourselves to a barbecue dinner and fell asleep knowing that the next day would be one big adventure. Early in the morning, we left Craignure on the east coast of the island and made our way along the winding single-track road to Finnafort, as far west as you can go on Mull. From there we took a boat, but the crossing was over almost as quickly as it began. Only ten minutes lie between Finnafort and the port of Iona, the first of three islands we would visit today. The sky is overcast, but the clouds have little effect on the sheer beauty of the landscape that lies before us. The shallow water near the ferry slip is crystal clear. The seabed is covered with bright sand, and despite the great skies, the water looks as if someone had crushed a load of green fluorite crystals and scattered them in the water. Different shades of green and blue. Are we definitely still in Scotland? I find pops of colour behind every corner, the familiar Royal Mail red of the postbox down a narrow footpath in the village, the bright orange petals of wildflowers that can be found all over the Scottish coast. Each stem carries up to 20 little flowers and they are dotted along the paths that lead from the village on the east across the moor towards the beaches on the west side. The grounds of Iona Abbey and the nunnery are littered with flower bushes blooming in bright pink, red and orange. The rocks near the shore are covered in yellow dots, lichen that gets exposed at low tide. We wander around Iona for a few hours until it is time to head back to the village to meet our boat. A light drizzle started a while ago and we spent the last half hour or so of our time on Iona in the public shelter near the harbour. But A little bit of rain has never kept me from adventure. Back at sea, this time aboard a spacious vessel used to ship day-trippers back and forth to the Isle of Staffa and the more distant Treshnish Isles. We are bound for Lunga, the largest of the Treshnish Isles. Ever since I had learned that these islands are home to the thriving colony of Atlantic puffins, I knew I wanted to visit. 
Who wouldn't want to meet the so-called clowns of the Atlantic in person? If only it wouldn't require such a long boat ride. While the grey weather and rain wasn't much cause for concern for our time on Iona, things look quite different when you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Luckily, there are only a handful of passengers and plenty of seats inside our boat. At least we wouldn't have to brave the elements on deck. As we sail out farther and farther away from the sheltered coast of Iona, the boat starts rocking side to side, front to back, I hold on to the seat in front of me, tightly gripping the handrail. Always keeping the horizon in sight, I stare out the window and somehow, using all my concentration, I manage not to get sick. As we reach the coast of Langa, our skipper pulls up next to a floating jetty. The crew pull out a large wooden stepladder and with a little help, we step off the boat. One by one, We walk down the jetty and onto the island. After the last passenger joins us on land, the boat blows its horn and sails off. For a few precious hours, we would have the island to ourselves. During the journey, our skipper told us where to pick up the path around the island and the best spot to find the puffins. Easier said than done. The drizzle has increased to actual rain now, And before we can join the path, we first have to scramble across the slippery rocks along the shore. I am glad that we took up the crew's offer to put on some additional rain gear for our walk. Not only would the bright yellow rain jackets protect us better from the rain, they would also be easier to spot from the sea, letting the skipper know when to return to the pickup point. Eventually, we reach the path and start following it in a single file leaning into the wind and rain, taking shelter behind the back of the person in front. After a few minutes, we come past the ruins of an old black house village. Lunga was abandoned in 1857, and in 2000, the Treshnish Isles were sold to the Hebridean Trust, which owns them until today, safeguarding the local wildlife. Thanks to its biodiversity, significant breeding grounds for seabirds and marine habitat. Langa is a site of special scientific interest, a special protection area and a special area of conservation. Visitors are asked to do their bit and take great care while they are on the island. Don't damage any of the fragile landscape, respect the unique plant life and don't disturb nesting birds. Slowly, we make our way towards the top of the cliff where we were told most puffins had dug their nesting burrows. Since puffins don't nest on steep cliff sides, like other seabirds in the area, they have to come up with a unique way to protect their offspring from the elements as well as preying seagulls. They dig burrows in the soft soil on top of tall cliffs, around three feet deep and up to nine feet long. At the end of the tunnel, there is a chamber where the puffins lay one single egg per season. After the puffling hedges, it spends up to two months in the burrow, waiting patiently, or not so patiently, for its parents to return with food. The island is covered in wildflowers, white and bright yellow spots of colour among a carpet of purple heather. The rain has eased off a little, 
but the fog is still hanging low. Eventually, we reach the cliff of the puffins. Apart from the black holes marking the entrance to the burrows, there is no sign of them. Maybe the weather is too bad. But then, within a few minutes, the birds start arriving, one by one. Their beaks are filled to the brim with tiny silver fish, three, four, five, or even more at a time. Later, I find out that the highest number of fish ever recorded in a single puffin beak was 62. 62 little fish. A surprising fact about the puffins on Lunga is that they are not afraid of humans. In Scotland, puffins have been protected and safeguarded by law for a long time. And since no one causes them harm, they don't mind the visitors arriving on their home turf. In fact, the opposite is the case. Tall humans are very useful in keeping seagulls away. The vicious birds are known to attack puffins to steal their catch, or worse, they might attack an exposed puffling outside of its burrow. It is a lot safer for puffin parents, their beaks full of fish, to land and deliver food to their babies when humans are around. It's a win-win situation. By now, we are surrounded by puffins soaring through the sky. Their flight is often described as comical and they are a bit clumsy when they land. Nevertheless, or maybe because of it, it is a joy to watch them, chattering away with each other, greeting their pufflings, some of which are now starting to emerge from the burrows, equally happy about seeing their parents and the fish in their beaks. I sit down and take out my camera. Filled with excitement, I snap away, one photo after the other. There are about ten people on the cliff, each of us equipped with cameras, phones and binoculars, watching the show. The puffins are not phased by the attention. They simply continue with their routine, fly out to the sea, catch some fish, come back and keep the babies well fed. Their bright orange beaks and feet stand out from the deep blue of the ocean below the bright green grass and the warm brown soil on the cliff top. Watching them is hypnotising. Eventually, we have to pull ourselves away again and continue our walk across the other side of Lunga. As we get down the other side, we see our boat on its way to the pickup point. It must have spotted our rain jackets against the dark background of the island and realised that we are on our way back. A perfectly designed system. Back on the boat, we flick through our pictures. Even though we all shared the same time with the puffins, we excitedly retell our favourite moments and encounters. Despite sharing the experience with our friends, these memories are uniquely ours. But this isn't the end of our island hopping adventure. Next stop, the Isle of Staffa. The weather can change quickly when you're at sea. And so, we approach Staffa in glorious sunshine. The wind and the swell are still strong, so we have to head straight to the landing slip instead of sailing any closer to the famous sea cave of Staffa. In the 18th century, Sir Joseph Banks, a naturalist from London, changed its name to Fingal's Cave inspired by the hero of an epic poem collected from Gallic traditions 
and written by James McPherson. Ever since, the island has attracted a huge number of visitors who took up the arduous journey across rough seas to reach the island. As such, Staffa became a symbol of British Romanticism, the wild Scottish coast, made for our enjoyment, rather than to be populated and cultivated sustainably by the local population. In a twisted kind of way, places like Staffa and their natural beauty are closely linked to the justification of the clearances and the sale of entire islands to be turned into private retreats. But this history does not make Staffa any less beautiful. The characteristic hexagonal basalt columns rise out of the water and form tall cliffs above our heads. The sea is rough and we have to carefully jump across onto the small stone jetty. There are many people waiting for a lift back to Mal and our skipper tells us to just get any boat back. From here, boats operate like a shuttle service. Ready for another adventure, we start making our way towards the cave, walking across the columns along the shoreline. Inside the cave, the water is deep green, and I can see hundreds of tiny fish below the surface. The water rises and drops every few seconds, and the columns are wide enough to sit on them comfortably and watch the waves. I let my feet dangle over the edge, and listen to the sound of waves echoing in the back of the chamber. But there is more to see on Staffa. After a short walk, we find ourselves back at the landing site and start climbing the steep stairs that lead up the side of the cliffs. At the top, a small network of trails leads all around the island there is a small puffin colony on the northern part of Staffa, but we heard they had already left for the season. A small cairn made from slate marks the highest point of Staffa, and from here we enjoy views of the entire island, as well as Mal and Iona, Langa and the Treshnish Isles in the distance. Spotting a photo opportunity below, I hand my partner the camera, briefly explain my idea and run down the grassy slope, careful not to trip over some roots or rocks. I take position and with outstretched arms look out towards the ocean. Giddy with excitement and from running back up the hill, I return to examine the results. A tiny figure in a yellow raincoat, dwarfed by the dramatic cliffs dropping into the sea, the bright blue sky above. To this day, it is one of my favourite travel pictures of my adventures in Scotland. A little while later, we get back on the boat. There are no seats left inside the cabin, and so we get back into our big yellow raincoats and find seats on the deck. The sun is still blazing, but the boat has to sail right into the wind now. Every time it crashes into a wave, the spray lands on the back of the boat and on us. By the time we reach Finnafort, we are drenched to the bone, wet hair, salty lips. But it was worth it. We had spent the day braving the elements and made memories that will last a lifetime. Island hopping on the west coast of Scotland. 
I hope you enjoyed coming on this street trip to Iona, Staffa and the Treshnish Isles. Now it is time for the practical part of the show. Here are my top travel tips for a day of island hopping near Mull. Tip number one. Which tour to book? We booked the Staffa and Treshnish Isles wildlife tour with Staffa Tours, which includes a landing on Lunga for just over two hours and about an hour on Staffa. There are a few other companies that offer boat tours to Staffa, but that is the one we chose. Tip number two, the best time to visit. The best time for a wildlife trip to the Treshnish Isles is late spring to early summer. Puffins arrive on the island towards the end of April to breed and leave by early to mid-August. They spend the rest of the year at sea, so you won't get a chance to see them up close outside of breeding season. Tours outside this time frame usually don't even land on Lunga because there is not much to see. Tip number three, avoiding the crowds on Staffa. Staffa is a very popular destination for day trippers who come from Mull and from Oban. While the numbers are managed, the narrow sea cave can start getting a little crowded. I recommend taking your time on the path to the cave to fall back and let others visit the cave first. By the time you get there, they will have had their fill and start heading up the cliffs. Alternatively, you could also climb the cliffs first and time your walk to the cave between the arrival of new boats. Tip number four, how to deal with seasickness. It's never fun being seasick, but it might be something you have to put up with when island hopping in Scotland. The most important thing to keep in mind is to focus on the horizon and if possible, stay outside in the fresh air. Eating something with ginger helps combat the feeling of sickness, as well as eating green apples. Some people swear by wristbands with beads that press certain pressure points on your wrist. If all else fails, you could reach for seasickness pills, but they might make you feel too drowsy to explore the islands on foot. Tip number five. Stay on Mull or Iona for a few nights. While it is possible to visit Staffa on a day trip from Oban, I recommend spending a few days on Mull or Iona and set aside a full day for island hopping. Here's an extra tip. If you want to find out more about the history of Staffa, check out Madeleine Bunting's book, Love of Country. The chapter on Staffa is one of my favourites and it contains a lot more detail about private land ownership and the idealisation of so-called empty landscapes in Scotland. I'll include a link to the book in the show notes. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own island hopping adventure to Iona, Staffa and the Treshnish Isles. At the time of recording this episode, it is of course not clear when we can next visit these isles. But luckily, neither of them are going anywhere. Soon enough, you will be able to safely plan a trip again. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Wild for Scotland. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to it. You can leave a review to make it easier for others to find the show or share your favourite episode with a friend. Sign up for my email list for a peek behind the scenes and additional resources about the places we visit each week. 
You can also support the show on Patreon. From just £3 a month, you can unlock bonus material and support my work. You'll find all the links in the show notes. I'd love to hear your feedback on Wild for Scotland, so please leave a comment on social media or on the website. You can connect with us on at Wild for Scotland or wildforscotland.com. There you will also find photos from today's travel story, transcripts and other episodes. Wild for Scotland is written, hosted and produced by me, Cathy Kamleitner, with additional support by Fran Turowskis. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different place in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.